Well, this morning we begin a journey as a church through the book of Philippians. I am so excited to start through the book of Philippians. I love this book, as many of you do. Uh, Many people tell me that Philippians is their favorite book of the Bible, and it makes sense. It is so encouraging, so gospel-centered, so Christ-exalting. It is joy-filled and intensely practical, not only for your life individually, but for the life of the church. And choosing this book to go through is not an arbitrary decision. When we're trying to decide what book to go through next, I Uh, have some practical implications. I will go from Old Testament to New Testament and very different genres of scripture as we're going through books of the Bible together. But at the end of the day, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, where do you want us? And I really believe that Philippians is a good place for us to be right now as a church family. And the reason is, is because the key verse in the book of Philippians is Philippians chapter one, verse 27, which the apostle Paul says this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's the key verse in Philippians 1, 27. We'll see more about that next week. What Paul is calling the church to is this. He is calling the church to be together for the gospel. If there is any message we need as a church right now is that we might be united, one mind for one purpose. I'm gonna begin this series a little bit different maybe than I normally would because I'm gonna give two weeks of introduction. I want us to look first of all this morning at how the church at Philippi started. And the reason that's so significant is because we have more information about the way this church was started than we have about any other church started in all of the New Testament. It's significant. And then next week, I want to come back, and I want us to look at the book itself, give a bit of an overview so we can help understand every part of this book in context. So this morning, I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Take your Bibles, and we're going to walk through Acts 16 this morning as we look at the supernatural way in which this church was started. Let me tell you the reason this is significant. Not only because of the attention it's given in the New Testament, not only because it does help us to understand the book of Philippians and the reason Paul is saying what he's saying, but when we look at Acts 16 and the way the church was started in Philippi, it answers for us one extremely critical question. The question it answers is this. How does Christ build his church? Can we be very clear? This is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. Not the deacon's church. It's Christ's church. The question is, how is he going to build it? I want to know how Christ builds his church. And Acts 16 is an incredible paradigm which still holds true today as we see the way in which Christ builds his church. So we're going to walk through the story together, and then I'm going to give you at the end the ways in which we see that Christ builds his church. Now, Acts 16 is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. He had come to Jerusalem in Acts 15 for the Jerusalem council, where the apostles and the elders had gathered together uh, to discuss some ways in which God is dealing with the Gentile believers And at the end of chapter 15, they send out Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey with two goals in mind. 
They wanted them to go retrace their steps from the first journey and go back and encourage every one of the churches and deliver the message that they received in Acts 15. And after that, to go start new churches. Can I just say that the only reason the church does mission is for these two reasons, to encourage existing churches and plant new ones. Uh, We don't go to do social work, although those things are fine. We go to encourage churches and plant churches. The only missions we're gonna do at Prince Avenue Baptist Church is church-centered, Christ-exalting missions where we encourage and plant churches. So they go on their second missionary journey, and it tells us at the very beginning they stop in Derby and Lystra, and they meet a young man you may have heard of named Timothy, a young man in the church who apparently everyone thought highly of. We know his dad was an unbeliever. His mother and grandmother had raised him to know the things of the Lord, it seemed God's hand was on him, and Paul wanted Timothy to come with him. So Paul invited Timothy, and the church approved it. And so here, when you come to the beginning of Acts 16, you've now got Paul, Silas, and Timothy all on this second missionary journey. It says in verse 5, they were going from place to place. Verse 4, throughout the cities, delivering to them the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders. Verse five says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily, encouraging the churches. Now, After they had retraced their steps and gone back to the previously planted churches, it tells us in verse six, they begin to go and plant new churches. Now, Paul had a a dream and a desire of what he wanted to do. He wanted to plant churches west in Asia. This massive region that had not yet heard the gospel, that didn't have any churches. And so Paul decided, I'm going to go west into Asia and preach the gospel. It tells us in verse 6 that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, I don't understand that. All I know is what the text says, that Paul desired to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbid him to go there. So an attempt to go west, he couldn't because the Holy Spirit said no. He had already been south, that's where he came from. So he decided to go up north and a little bit northeast. But it says when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia. Listen to this. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they had already been south. They were blocked from going west. They went north to go east and the spirit stopped them again. They're boxed in. There's really no other place that they can go except go a little bit northwest and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go any other direction, they go to a little coastal town named Troas. And it tells us in verse eight that passing Mysia, they went down to Troas. And while Paul was there, having no idea what to do next, having been constantly stopped by the Holy Spirit, it says a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia, which is on the other side of the Aegean Sea, was pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. They say, what do you do with a vision like that? Well, verse 10, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, using the wisdom that God had given them, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You say, I had to know this isn't some kind of demonic vision. Well, I can't imagine a demonic vision pleading with you to come and preach the gospel. Paul assumed this was the Spirit of God, having not told them anywhere else to go, allowing him to see a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, please come this way. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas hop on a boat, go across the sea. They get on the Roman road. They know they're supposed to go to Macedonia. They know nothing else. They take it to the leading city in Macedonia, which is the city 
of Philippi. That's exactly what he tells us in verse 12. Now, Paul's normal habit in planting churches was to go into a city, find the synagogue, on the Sabbath day, go in, open the Old Testament, and preach the gospel. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. But Paul had heard that outside of the city, verse 13, that there were some people who were meeting, a place of prayer. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas on the Sabbath day, verse 13, went outside the gate to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer. And look at what they found. They sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. You know what they found outside of the city? A women's Bible study. I don't know exactly what was going out there. They were probably watching Beth Moore on video. I don't know what they were doing exactly. That's exactly what Paul found. The only thing that they could find of a gathering of Jewish believers was some dedicated Jewish women outside of the city praying. So Paul showed up. I would love to have watched this whole thing unfold. As a stranger with two other strangers, men, show up at a women's Bible study, sit down, and begin to teach. Because that's exactly what happened. Paul said, listen, I, I hate to bother you. If you could put pause for just a minute on the DVD player, I'd love to share with you what you do not yet understand from the Old Testament that you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the most amazing thing happens in verses 14 and 15. There was one woman among all of them who heard, and her name was Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, which gives us an indication that she is a wealthy woman. The fact that she's from Thyatira indicates that she was Asian. And she was a worshiper of God. Now look at this next phrase. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now we have no indication that anyone else thought anything about what Paul has said. But what Paul did not know is when he was trying to go west and when he was trying to go north, there was someone who God was preparing to hear the gospel and they weren't gonna hear it unless Paul followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and went and preached it. God had been working on Lydia while he was working on Paul and all of a sudden Paul comes, preaches the gospel, Lydia was prepared and the moment she heard it, she received it. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. The first believer in Philippi, the beginning of the church in Philippi, was a lady named Lydia, whose heart God had prepared to hear the gospel, and she received it. It says in verse 16 that they were going to the place of prayer, and they met their next person. There was a slave girl. She had a spirit of divination. She brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Listen, she was demon possessed and she told people's fortune. She was owned. She was abused. She was manipulated. We'll see more of that in a minute. Those who owned her cared nothing about her. They simply cared about the money they could receive from her. But it says that she was following Paul and Timothy and Silas. And look at verse 17. She was crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. You said, well, that sounds like not such a bad thing. I mean, what she's saying is right. She's going in front of Paul and everywhere they go, they're saying, these men are from God and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. 
But I absolutely love verse 18. Look at this. She kept doing this for many days, and Paul, listen to this, having become greatly annoyed. Paul is experiencing a little bit of Holy Spirit annoyance. It exists. It's proof right here. You can be annoyed in the Holy Spirit, all right? was annoyed with what was happening. He said, well, why would Paul matter? She's saying, these people proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the reason is this, is because not all advertisement is good advertisement. When a demon-possessed woman is saying, listen to these men, they preach the way of salvation, that's not the kind of promotion you want in a new city. So Paul, look at this, doesn't turn to the woman, he turns to the spirit in the woman. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Paul walked in his God-given kingdom authority, which we have, because we have not only been crucified with Christ and buried with Christ and raised with Christ, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places above all rule and power and authority and dominion. So Paul, walking his authority, declares to the evil spirit to come out. The spirit comes out, and the church in Philippi gets another member. Starts with a wealthy Asian woman, and now a poor Greek slave girl. It was great for the church. It was great for the girl. Just didn't happen so great for Paul and Timothy and Silas. Look at verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought these to the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. So here's what happened. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had afflicted many blows upon them and threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. If we just stop here for just a moment and acknowledge the obvious of what we've already seen in this text, which the only reason they were in Philippi is because the Spirit led them there. They couldn't go anywhere else. They were forbidden to go any other direction. They followed the direction of the Holy Spirit and ended up in Philippi. So let me just tell you, the next time someone says to you, the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will, can you take them to Acts 16 and say that's absolutely untrue? Is it the best place to be? Absolutely. Is it the most joyful place to be? Absolutely. Is it the safest place to be? Probably not led directly by the Holy Spirit to the place where they were seized, dragged, attacked, beaten, inflicted with blows, thrown into prison, and had their feet fastened in the stocks. That is not the safest place to be, but it was the right place to be. What matters most is not your safety. What matters most is going the direction that God is calling you. So here they are in prison, fastened. It seems a little strange that God would lead them into that way, but they're doing in verse 25 what all of us would do in that circumstance. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You would do that, wouldn't you? Having just been beaten publicly and stripped naked, questioning what God was doing and why he led you to there, all of us would sit there and just praise the Lord. This is so great. God, thank you. 
just praise and give you a praise offering, praise the Lord. That's what they're doing. The prisoners were listening. Now, if you believe in signs and wonders and God leading by signs, I don't know of a better one than this one. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaking. All the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, I don't know what they were praying, but if they were praying to be released, I don't know how you get a better sign than an earthquake, the prison doors opening and the shackles coming off of your feet. That's a sign to get up and go. Like as quickly as possible. But they don't. The reason they don't is because they look at the jailer and he's about to commit suicide. He's about to kill himself because he knows if his authorities come back and find that the prisoners are gone, they're gonna kill him. So he decides to kill himself. So look what happens when the jailer woke, verse 27. He saw the prison doors was open. He drew his sword. He was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I would have missed that moment. I would have been 16 miles away on the next boat to somewhere else. Paul, following the Holy Spirit, stayed and Here's the next member of the church in Philippi. It says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who are in the house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. They were baptized, he and his family, brought them into his house and set food before them. And listen to this, I love this. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Nothing changes the dynamic of a family more than coming to Jesus Christ. And so it is right now. You have a wealthy Asian woman and her family, a poor Greek slave girl and a blue-collar Roman jailer all reminding us that no one is out of the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way in which God wants to build his church is through all kinds of different people gathered together, united by one thing, not by their race, not by their social class, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that people come to the church and think, why in the world are these people together? They have nothing in common. And what we say is it's simply the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ who makes brothers and sisters out of people who without Christ would be enemies. And this is how the church was started. Now you have to believe that Paul walked out of Philippi a little overwhelmed with what was happening because it tells us in verse 40 that after they were released, they went out of prison, they visited Lydia again and they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So now in Lydia's house was a church that was started. There was already brothers there and sisters there. All of these people who had come to know Christ by their time there were gathered together in a church. And listen, God orchestrated it all. It was God who was leading. It was God who was saving. It was God who was delivering. It was God who was gathering exactly like he said he would do. Can I remind you of Matthew 16? As Jesus says, I will build my church. Say, this is my church and I will build it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell can prevail against the church when we build the church. But when Christ builds the church, nothing can stop it. 
But we gotta let Christ build the church. And so I look at this, and I think Jesus made a promise. He's gonna build his church, and all of a sudden, I'm terrified that I might be someone who wants to build the church in my way, not in Christ's way. Let me tell you something. You go to the Christian bookstore on Monday, and you will see shelf after shelf after shelf of books telling a pastor how to build the church. What I wanna say to you is that there's nothing wrong with all of that, but my fear is, is that I might pick up a book and follow some paradigm that is not Christ's paradigm. I don't wanna build the church. I want Christ to build the church. I wanna see what Jesus can do here. Listen, I've seen what I can do. It's not that great. I wanna see what Christ can do And what you have here from beginning to end is a church that Christ built, and I want this to be a church that Christ built. So how does Christ build his church? Very quickly, I'm gonna tell you these three ways that come directly from this text. Write this down. I encourage you. Can I tell you to please every week? Bring your Bible. Bring something to write with. Bring something to write on. A pen, a pencil, a mascara, something. How does Christ build his church? Let me give you three ways very carefully. First of all, he builds his church through the guidance of his spirit. Through the guidance of his spirit. Write that down. The book of Acts begins by Luke writing to Theophilus saying, in my first book, O Theophilus, the book of Luke, I wrote to you what Jesus began to do and teach, meaning that the book of Acts is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is Jesus continuing his work through his people in a way that can only be done through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's why in every single episode, Luke, as he is writing Acts, is pointing us to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Why else do we have all this information in Acts 16? Forbidden by the Holy Spirit forbidden by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Luke wants to make it very clear that the church is built when the people follow the leading of the Spirit. I met with our staff this week, all of the staff gathered, and I said, I want to tell you how I'm feeling right now, and I don't know how to describe it other than this. I said, I know exactly what I'm doing here, but I don't have a clue what's next. I know exactly what I'm doing, but I don't have a clue what's next. So if you're gonna ask me, Pastor, when are we starting back a Sunday night service? Are we gonna have a Wednesday night prayer meeting? What are we gonna do with this? My answer to you is I have no idea. But when I say I know exactly what I'm doing, what I mean is this, I am praying, I am listening, I am watching, I am observing, I am waiting on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when God says to change something and when God says to move, we will do it, but not before then. So so I'm just listening, I'm waiting, I'm praying. But don't ask me what's next, because I don't know. And you know what, that's a good place to be, isn't it? To say, Lord, we are waiting on you under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, listening, waiting, walking in purity so we can receive what the Lord has. There is no pre-written plan for exactly how to do this. The way the church was started in Philippi is different than it was started any other place. Paul is following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is the way God wants to lead us by his spirit. And by the way, can I I just let you know something? If you follow the story throughout the book of Acts in 17 and 18, 
Do you know that because Paul followed the Lord and went to Macedonia, after he left Philippi, he planted a few more churches, one in Thessalonica, one in Berea, one in Athens, and one in Corinth. Remember those churches? It was on this journey which he picked up a man named Luke who wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else because he went the direction that God had called him to. We're gonna be committed to build his church through the guidance of his spirit. The second way Christ builds his church is this, through the proclamation of his word, through the guidance of his spirit and through the proclamation of his word. There are all kinds of methods and all kinds of strategies and all kinds of types of ministry we can do. Although I will tell you right now, the direction that we're going is not to be a program-driven ministry, but a people-driven ministry. Do you know that programs don't reach people? People reach people. We always want our programs to reach everybody. The reality is the way people get saved is when we tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is that you see the power of the proclaimed word. There is nothing that saves and nothing that sanctifies apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here, here's the best news to me. I, I would... I was, I was praying before the service this morning. I was reminded from this that what matters more than my proclamation is the Lord's preparation. So I, I walked up here this morning with this realization that I can preach as good as I can possibly preach, but unless the Lord has come before me and prepared hearts like he did with Lydia, nothing's gonna happen. Why did Lydia come to Christ? I don't know. Why did he get a vision from a man to come and the first person he led to Christ was a woman? Why did Paul begin his ministry in a little women's Bible study? Why was he led out there? I don't know, but he was. And what happened is when Paul was faithful to simply go to the person that God led him to and preach the gospel, someone got saved. You know, this, this is crazy. This is complicated, so stay with me here a minute. I have found that there's a direct correlation between the amount of people that get saved and the amount of people that hear the gospel. <laughs> Do I need to say that again? It's crazy. It's the most amazing thing. The more you present the gospel, the more people get saved. This is why everywhere Paul went, he just preached the gospel. Wherever he was, that's what he did. And I loved, listen what I love. I love that the way the church started, and we're gonna see this next week, this becomes the most supporting church in Paul's entire ministry. No one Paul loved more than he loved this church. And you know how it started? With one woman who got saved. Do not underestimate for a minute the movement that God can start with one person getting saved. You know, we all want the big thing, we all want to see a movement. We all want to see every seat filled, praise God. But could it be that's going to start with the one person you're going to lead to Christ this week? That you're going to share the gospel with one person and your presentation is not even going to be that good. You're going to be scared to death. You're going to mumble. You're going to like forget the resurrection or something. I don't know. You're going to not, and you know what? Somebody's going to get saved. And you're going to say, my goodness, maybe I'm better at this than I thought. No, you're not. You're actually not good at it at all. But they were ready. God got them ready. And doesn't that take pressure off of soul winning? You're just presenting the gospel. And most people are gonna ignore you, but someone's gonna get saved. And could it be that that one person is the beginning of a new movement? 
Don't underestimate it. Be faithful to present the gospel. Do not underestimate the power of God's word and do not be ashamed of the gospel. It is actually the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So just get it out there and see who God saves. That's how Christ builds his church, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of the word, and the last one is this. Christ builds his church through the surrender of his people. Now, you got to write that one down. The surrender of his people. It's interesting, on a human level, this church exists because Paul was submissive to the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to explain this. I wasn't planning on saying this this morning, but I, and I really don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I feel like as God was leading me here, the, the, the mental picture I had was that my heels were kind of dug in the ground and God was pushing me from the back and I was making these ruts as I go. Man, we loved our church. God was moving, God was working. We had spent 11 and a half years getting the church exactly the way that we thought God wanted it and I wanted to enjoy the fruit of some of my labor. But I knew that God was leading me here. And can I just tell you the most miraculous thing happened from the moment we got here, we knew exactly that we were in the right place. We feel so loved and so at home and so supernaturally. And we are happier than we've ever been. But I'm just telling you, God was pushing me. The fact is, is that that's the way God often works. He doesn't just send us to the easiest things and call us to the easiest places. But he calls us and he leads us. And what matters is this. Are you willing to surrender yourself fully to the Spirit and say this? Lord, I'm not afraid of you and I'm not afraid of your will. I'm just saying, here I am, Lord, do with me as you please. Unless that is the spirit of the church, nothing matters. I'd love to give you a testimony of one of the significant moments in my life, right before my wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer, literally two days before, in which I heard someone preach. I was a camp counselor, and I heard someone preach, and they said, are you willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit? And as a guy who had been pastor for 10 years, I told the Lord no because I'm scared of what that's gonna mean for me. And God broke me. He broke me. That night I got to my room, I just surrendered afresh to the Lord, whatever you want. The next day we found out Andrea had stage four cancer and you know what? God prepared me by surrendering me to his will, which by the way was not easy, but it was so good. The surrender of his people. You know, this is the reason that Paul begins his letter by calling himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He is someone owned by Christ in complete submission to Jesus Christ. When Jesus calls us, he doesn't give us the details. He just says, follow me. It is an exciting journey that demands our surrender. Listen to me, church. God wants to call the shots. Are you gonna let him? Are you gonna be so surrendered to the Holy Spirit that you're ready and willing for whatever he has for you. Now, let me say this as we close. Jesus Christ is still building his church. Right now, he's building his church. You know the most amazing part? He's inviting us to get in on it. You know, everybody says, just find out what God is doing and get in on it. If you wanna get in on what God is doing, get in a church. That's what God's doing. That's what God's doing. God is building his church. That's his method of ministry. And God is inviting us to come get in on what he is doing. And I just want you to know, I wanna be a part of what God is doing. 
I want Christ to build his church. I want this to be a testimony of the power of God in our lives. So I wanna say for your sake and for the sake of your family, will you be submissive enough, bold enough to preach the gospel, pure enough to hear from the Holy Spirit that God will build it through you? So today I'm just gonna simply ask you to, to pray. To make a declaration to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready, I want what you want. I, I'm, my agenda is, I've seen the life I can build, I don't wanna build it in me more, Lord, I'm, I'm waiting for you. It could be that God is stirring in some of your heart. There could be a Lydia here this morning, man or woman, young or old, who says, you know what, I don't know Jesus Christ, and I'm being stirred by the thought of what Christ can do with my life. If God is stirring you to give your life to Christ, you do it now, right now. You do not harden your heart. Maybe God is convicting you of a sin that is keeping you from hearing the Holy Spirit. Confess it this morning. This is a time in which God is calling us to humble ourselves. Are you willing and ready to let God lead? So in just a moment, we're gonna stand. We're gonna sing a song of response. Again, I'm gonna invite you to come and let's pray. Pastors will be here to greet you if you wanna talk to someone. Maybe you just wanna come and pray. Whatever it is, let's respond to what the Spirit of God is saying this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.